Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb and I don't know, like cue spooky music or something, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Spooky. I, I had no idea what you were talking about for a brief period there. But yes, this is the spookiest set of the year. It's also getting into that spooky season near Halloween time. Actually, my favorite time of the year. So uh, sure. Shout outs to spooky stuff. Word. Uh, yeah, it's just another magic set to me, you know? So, yeah, I mean, from like a flavor standpoint, yes, because I, I forgot about the spookiness. But from what it has done to my excitement for magic, Night and day, this set versus the last set. Good it's one. Just so much more powerful. It wasn't on purpose. I swear it wasn't. You're on fired. <laughs> it's so much more powerful. So much more interesting. I'm having a blast building decks. I had a good time playing my games today. I am all about Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Feels like an absolute home run to me thus far. Wow, you got to play games today. Must be nice. Well, I woke up before five in the afternoon, so I think I earned those games. Listen, Unlike someone else on the podcast. Listen, I was awake until uh, about 11.30 a.m. That's when everything went up. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was going to sleep uh, okay. when that was happening. PSA, and I know this. I knew this already. I just kind of forgot about this. But PSA, buy gems if you're going to buy gems before the set drops. Yes. Because Good there advice. are always problems with the store. And this is the very first time I've had it where it, it like the gym thing just doesn't show up and now the store is just down. But I, I know that there's been like leg issues and stuff like that. So like PSA in the future, if you're going to buy gems, do it before the update. And I wish I would have done that because at least then I would have been able to like open some packs and like build some decks or whatever, get a little bit of a head start. Very good advice. Uh, I didn't do that. I forgot to do that, but I was able to get my gems before the store went down opened uh 230 packs today i think and now i have everything and it, it's go time it's 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 building time it's playing time uh like i said i i had a blast today so um not jealous envious i guess you'll, you'll get your chance yeah. just a matter of time yeah it'll be fine i'll just be you know refreshing into the wee hours of uh my afternoon which mm -hmm. <laughs> i guess i'm on uh, EU time, sort of. Anyway, we have a top 10 list that's actually a top 13 list, but very easily could be a top 20 list, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it could go very deep. Uh, I feel strongly about like the tippy top of this list, but below that, a lot of interchangeability. And I think it goes down, like you said, about 20 cards or so that are going to uh, be big players in standard. That It helps that we're doing this at rotation, for sure. Like that Yes. makes it easier uh but even still like just good cards good build arounds interesting stuff uh a good set i'm, and, I'm very and not pleased. not too many things that double your mana no not too many uh it's it's on the low end and uh some other play patterns that i think are interesting we'll we'll get to all that that we'll talk through everything we've discovered thus far cool well we are going to start with an honorable mention and I think that we should just do this from now on because otherwise these would just be number one all the time. Just yeah. like honor, honorable mention the dual lands. Like, yeah, obviously, unless they're snarls, uh, they're... <laughs> they get they're, dishonorable mentions. Yeah, dishonorable mention. Is it like you build decks, you go through, you see that there are snarls legal, you just get mad. At least that that was my process. 
Right. But uh, yeah, these dual lands are obviously going to see a ton of play. I think that they're very good. They are. They're great. What What has been your experience so great. far? Like it, when you're playing like three colors, do you play the full eight of these? Yes. If, Okay. Yep. If they're available, I will. And uh, you, you almost certainly will be happy. They are they are great, great lands. Only the most aggressive decks will ever feel the the downside. Um, and even then, it's like you're more than happy to deal with this. I've played some some Gruul, some Rakdos, and those decks are very happy to have this dual land. They are fantastic. Rakdos, I think, has more solid options for one drops than something like Gruul does. So even if you know, you have to play one of these on turn one. I don't think you're losing out on that much anyway. Yep, I agree with you. And obviously that'll change. Like the more sets you have, there there will probably be more playable one drops and everything. But for right now, yeah, it just doesn't seem like a downside to put these in your deck. I have loaded up very comfortable with eight when I have room for them. And you're definitely playing them when you're playing allied colored decks. I'm happy. I want the rest of the cycle. That would be cool. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get it soon. Uh, it, it seems plausible, right? We're in in Estrad twice, so I, I think that would make a lot of sense and would be a cool foundation to base the standard around. Hell yeah. Uh, number 13, we have Jadar, Ghoul Caller of Nefalia. We're still reading these, yeah? I think so. Last week, we're going to read them. Last time. All right. Jadar, 1B, 1-1, legendary creature, human wizard. At the beginning of your end step, if you control... No creatures with decay to create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decay, which means it can't block, and when it attacks, you sacrifice it at end of combat. Just a straight-up fodder maker that is reusable, uh, does a bunch of cool things like triggering your Champion of the Perished if you're in a zombies deck. Uh, it is in my Rakdos deck presently, where I'm using it to fuel my Plum the Forbiddens and my Village Rights. And don't forget, you get to attack with these things before you do that. You just put an end step, a stop in your end step of combat, and you still get the sacrifice off. But, uh, <laughs> you say, oh, you just do that like that's easy on Arena. It's doable. Once you understand how to do it, it's doable. You just have to, th to think to do it and remember. Um, but yeah, Jadar is just a good, solid value body. Uh, one thing that's cool is a lot of my uh, first drafts of Rakdos were usually pretty empty on creatures at the two drop slot. You go from like Eye Twitch to Sedgemore Witch, basically. Yeah. And this being a two drop is really good for your Agadim's Awakenings. I figured that out pretty quickly once I put this in there. And it, it was a sizable improvement over like uh, Hunt the Specimens that I was playing in that slot before when I was playing this today. So very pleased with the Jadar thus far. You need some kind of synergy. It's not just like a good rate card, but it's definitely there when you have the pairings. Yeah, Eaten Alive is another pretty solid yep. one where Jadar just makes it so these cards don't have a downside. You right. know, you just fuel all the village rights and Eaten Alives. And if you have it, it just seems like your deck becomes so much more efficient. And you're also getting like the extra chip damage out of it a lot of the time too, so. Yeah, all that stuff adds up, and that's that's what these decks are about. They're about like small ball going wider than your opponent can block, getting these small interaction advantages over time. So Jadar fits right in. Is is Plum busted? Plum is better than it was uh, by virtue of just like being one of the more powerful cards left in the format, with a lot of the really really good cards leaving. Uh, my experience with the Rakdos deck that I posted on 
You can find it on Twitter. Uh, I have an article going up on Star City. I think it's going to go up tomorrow with like 20 of my decks that I've been building. Damn. Uh, so it'll, it'll be available there. If you want to hunt it down, I posted it over in our Discord. So I, I have it in as many places as I possibly can, but I played it today and the deck felt fantastic. Also, another card we're going to be talking about as we get higher up the list that is a big addition to that archetype. Number 12, Bloodthirsty Adversary, 1R, 2-2, Creature Vampire, Haste. When this enters the battlefield, you may pay 2R any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one, plus one counters on this, then exile up to that many instant or sorcery cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard and copy them. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana cost. So two mana, two, two, Haste, or... More likely like a five mana, three, three haste, goblin dark dwellers type of thing. Yeah, ideally that's what you're holding out for. And I wouldn't discount the possibility of a four, four. That brings back two things when you're playing red decks. If you're, if you have access to like gold span dragon and your mana is getting big or you're doing uh, some type of Magda stuff that could also get you to the large mana thresholds where you're just able to really get a lot of value out of this card. Um, and it's got that modality, you know, two, two, Haste is acceptable in a lot of matchups. You'll get by with it. And the fact that it scales into the late game means I'm into this card. I think it's the best of the adversary cycle. But in my play today, I played a bunch against the green adversary. Uh, I, I don't have too many copies of that in my own decks, but playing against it, it, it was better than I thought it was. The fact that you just get to like leave these extra three threes on the battlefield if you hit the late game uh, and are a little bit flooded. And again, it's a deck if we're talking about like gruel werewolfy type stuff that does have access to a lot of mana. Sometimes it does the Magda stuff. It's got like Arlen, which is capable of producing mana. So you do have dumps for it. So the green one also looks quite good. I think I would be okay with viewing these two as interchangeable on my list. One of the adversaries was going to make it. I defaulted to the red one. I think it could have been the green one in the slot as well. I think the black one is better than the green one. Like the, the green one seemed kind of good to me and then the more i thought about it I, the and like was finalizing my list and stuff like it was one of the last cards to go in a lot of instances but i definitely need to like get into play and and see what's going on yeah I, I would feel it a little bit i agree though also that the black one is much better than i thought to the extent that i went and built a zombie deck because i was so impressed with it as a lord and how well it interacts with champion of the perished and so many other interactions in that deck so uh, i'm with you on that version being quite good also i happened to open four copies of it in the packs i opened <laughs> so there was no like additional token or additional mythic rare cost to me to actually play the zombie deck so that was yeah, a big part I of my my influence there I love that, like, I, I've been playing a decent amount of gotcha games, you know, and it's just like, if you're if you're just committed to being free to play and, you, you know, you just go with the things that you open or whatever, yep. and you're just like, yeah, I got some of zombies made now, you know, I got Looks four like this it. card and nothing else. Yeah. So I feel you. I get it. Uh, number 11, Malevolent Hermit. One, you, two, one, creature, human, wizard. You sacrifice this, counter target, non-creature spell, unless it's controller pays three and it has Disturb for 2U, you may cast this card from your graveyard, transform for its Disturb cost, and the backside is a 2-2 with flying. Non-creature spells you control can't be countered, and if this would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Uh, I, I just kind of like skimmed over this card, but it's really good, isn't it? Really, really good. If I, if I hadn't played with it today so much, 
it might not have made my list. Uh, in fact, we've we've had a draft list floating around between us for about a week now, and this card was not on our first draft list. And after I played a bit today, I got back to you, and I was like, this card needs to be somewhere on our list. And if I had more time with it, it might be higher. Uh, I, I tweeted today that this is the new Teferi Time Raveler, which sounds very silly. I understand that. But it's exactly the same in that if you want to do something stupid and degenerate and like big mana and invest in these huge turns this is how you do it in a bunch of matchups this is just your sideboard solution always because it creates this sub game where your opponent is either challenging the malevolent hermit on the battlefield or trying to burn it early to make sure that they can interact with your spell on the stack or you're going to get to the backside of it and then they have to kill it a second time so it just requires so much resource usage from your opponent to get to the point where they're even beyond this sub game which will eventually lead to their demise if they're trying to play any kind of control strategy against your go big you know alrin's epiphany graveyard combo type setup malevolent hermit hermit lets all of that happen it's also just like a good beater in control mirrors that thing where you board in a bunch of small creatures just to be able to pressure planeswalkers and get on the battlefield early and then you get so much payoff from this winning the key counter war or taking out a planeswalker from your opponent i just think this card is nuts uh someone pointed out to me on twitter that it also combines with Luris in older formats which is like that feels a little slow for older formats but also maybe good enough like if you just shut your opponent out of non-creature spells entirely that that seems really good like really really good yeah i could see it more in like pioneer, pioneer. versus yeah, modern right i agree but yeah it, it does seem pretty good pioneer decks are always funny it's just like such a hodgepodge of cards a lot right. of the time you know right and but pioneer is also a home where like you can do that type of degenerate combo stuff and i yes. can very much see malevolent hermit enabling all of that yeah, no, I, I agree with all of this. I do like it for sure. Like, so I, I wrote about Storm the Festival this week, which is like the six mana big collected company thing. Yep. And obviously your deck is going to have like a bunch of creatures, a bunch of permanents, and then Storm. And then for sideboarding, it was like, well, I want to be able to maybe like stop some sweepers or uh, just win some counter wars over big stuff. And I was like, well, I'll just go with the standard negates or whatever. I didn't dig too deep. And this is like a creature that can pressure them. Yep. It is a thing that you can storm the festival into. It is going to get a two for one, right? Because the front side is probably going to counter something. The back side is going to make it so like your big spells are resolving and it's like a reasonable threat on its own. So it's just like, this is so much better than playing like a silly negate in, yes. in a creature deck like that. Yep. This is, this is how you answer that question. Now I built a bunch of decks that are very much in that same vein. And, you know, like you said, I, I defaulted to the negate disdainful stroke, two of each package. And that's your, your default way of doing it. I was about as, the same. Yeah. As time went on, I'm just like, no, I just want four malevolent hermit. And that actually answers the problem uh permanently and puts my opponent on the back foot and it's, it's been key most of what i've gotten up today is is nonsense and it's all been really good which is frightening and it's all been really good on the back of malevolent hermit so number 10 reckless storm seeker 2r 23 creature human werewolf at the beginning of combat on your turn target creature you control gets plus one plus oh and gains haste until end of turn as day bound and the backside is a three four at the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gets plus two plus zero, gains trample and haste until end of turn with Nightbound. And I don't know. I, I saw this card initially, and like the, the thing that I said was that it's like, oh, I guess it's kind of like a fires for 
for for your stuff right and i i do think it's a lot better than that when you start thinking about it as like this is just a three mana three three haste with like mm. massive massive upside and then you start looking at it in combinations with things like a Seekers chariot yeah. and like the ren and six token and stuff like that it's like this this card seems nice this is a good role player yeah this is the like the rate creature of the set, I think, where you're just getting uh, a lot of return on your investment and, you know, doesn't do anything when it enters the battlefield, really. It's not it's it, not it, the type of new creature. It has haste. It has haste. Sure, sure. That, that's, as, that's as close to like old creatures as we can get is you have to give them some kind of haste. Um, but still, I think the value is absolutely there. There's so many good combinations with it. There's so many ways to reliably trigger uh, Nightbound in combination with things like Arlen Core, or excuse me, Arlen the Pax Hope. It's very good. So uh, this card has impressed me. It also just leads to your most busted draws, like all of the best Asika's Chariot stuff. It feels like it's on the back of Reckless Stormseeker. And when you get absolutely buried by the Gruul deck, which would be very, very high on my list of enemies right now, probably, probably in the number one slot. I think that's the safest way to do it for the time being. Uh, you you realize very quickly that this card is just sort of what makes the archetype hum it in a chariot into ran seven is just new fire absurd. yeah it's absurd number nine light up the night xr sorcery this deals x damage to any target it deals x plus one damage instead if that target is a creature or planeswalker flashback three r remove x loyalty counters from among planeswalkers you control if you cast the spell this way x cannot be zero so this is this is mine. This is this is I take ownership of this one. So if it's wrong, don't be mad at Jerry. I, I battled for this card to be on this list. Uh, it was very important to me. I think Light of the Night is extremely important in the format, even if it isn't in a tremendous number of decks. Uh, although I, I think it probably has more homes than people are giving it right now. And I've gone out of my way to include it in some spaces where you wouldn't usually see it. But front side mostly just a fireball you're cool with that in a lot of decks especially things that are doing like gold span dragon we talked about how all these mana engines exist that is part of new magic that's not going away and they're still present in the standard there's still ways to do these outstanding mana explosions and i think that's a great home for light of the night but where i really love this card is the fact that you can play it on turn one and it's a removal spell for one toughness creatures so if Delver of Secrets turns out to be a thing or, you know, anything super small like that, you do have that removal spell. That upgrade is big. It comes up all the time for me. It's also good at taking down uh, Planeswalkers that have been ticked down. So it, it has a lot of utility there. But where I really go over the moon about this card is scenarios where you're just in this mid-game stall. You fire this at your opponent's face for, you know, four, five and then you have a Planeswalker that you play on a future turn, or maybe it's already in play if you're really doing the thing, and this represents five or six more damage at will, and that's, I think, it's low end. Like, if you build around this card, I mentioned Rakdos previously, which this is the big, biggest update for Rakdos. This means so much more than Jadar does, because what you can do is now become a Lolf Spider Queen deck. All those sacrifices that you're doing over time are putting loyalty counters on that. I've busted out Fireballs for like 12 using just my spider queen to kill my opponent out of nowhere and there's not really anything you can do about that setup because that deck does play defense so well it makes it spider tokens it's got pest tokens all over the battlefield and it can just block in perpetuity tick up that planeswalker and have this massive fireball out of nowhere so i think it's an angle that a lot of decks didn't have before gruel can do it with renin seven uh and arlen the pax hope it works 
absolutely fine there. You can work harder and squeeze it into spots like I did a Jeskai Dragons list where I included Teferi. I don't think you have to do that just because the core is it Dragons is so good. But you can if you're really into this kind of reach that Light Up the Night provides. And I think it's going to be an important part of the format. So the thing I will say, oh, I got two things, really. The first one is that if you have a Loth on 12, are you not doing okay? Like, I I get that there's, like, convenience, right? Like, the front side of this is a fine removal spell, and then it just kind of chills in your graveyard, right, for if if you need it. And it makes ending the game a lot faster, a lot easier. But I don't know. Like, using that as a selling point to me is a little bit sketchy. Sure, that's a dramatic example. But the thing is, like, the minus 8 on it isn't good in a lot of situations. It can be strong, but there's a lot of spots where it just doesn't do all that much. And it's... Very plausible that you got your Loth to 12 in like two turns, which I think is what my scenario was, where I just had a bunch of sacrifice fodder around. I was chump blocking, and it was very easy to kind of turbo it up to that point. But were you winning without the fireball? Uh, we were at least at parity. Okay. So maybe second- I can turn that game long because, I, you know, I have my Loth in play and I'm obviously very good at blocking at that point, but still ending the game matters. So the second thing I will say, which is dramatically in this card's favor, is that anything that breaks a paradigm is worth looking into, especially if it's already reasonable on rate. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about kind of like, you know, mid-range setups, decks that will get into board stalls until someone draws like their gold spin dragon or whatever they have to kind of like break through, right? And having something that that does break those sort of stalemates is very, very important and, you know, garners a look. And you're talking about, like, the front side, you know, one mana, one damage, two mana, two damage. Like, those are fine rates, right, for this card, especially since it scales so well and then potentially has flashback. Uh, So already this is doing something that, like, no other card in the format can really do, and... You're, you're talking about how, like, the, the rates on it are just completely fine. So it's like, yeah, you know, like, con- consider playing this, consider playing it in 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 more decks, in more places. Like, maybe you don't even need Planeswalkers in your deck to play this just because maybe you do have, like, Goldspan Dragon, Magda type of stuff, right? And yeah, it you're could be a fireball just good enough, yeah. Right. And, uh, like, think of it like Alrin's Epiphany type of thing, right? Like, Obviously, that got used in some combo decks or whatever, but in a lot of instances, like in the the teamer decks, like that was sort of the way to like get ahead, break a stalemate. Well, this card is going to do the same thing. And it's, you know, Epiphany got foretold early. This thing is going to kill a creature early and and just sit there waiting to be flashback at some point. So I do think that this card is good the more I thought about it, uh, and especially in the context of like this does something that no other card in the format can do. But, you know, initial read, it's like not super flashy. It's like we, we've we had fireball type stuff with a little bit of upside before. Sometimes they've been good, like Crater's Claws. Sometimes. Yeah, Crater's Claws was the card I thought about a lot when I saw this. And, and like Demon Fire is another one, right? Where mm-hmm. like you had, a bunch sure. of, you had a bunch of Signets, you had a bunch of Karoos, and it's like, okay, I guess we should put Demon Fire in our deck because we get to eight mana all the time. And well, Goldspan Dragon, you kind of get to eight mana all the time too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe this is just like, Second, third, fifth coming of Demon Fire. I don't know. We'll see. Number eight, burn down the house. Three RR sorcery. Choose one. This deals five damage to each creature in each planeswalker or creates three one one red devil creature tokens with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. They gain haste until end of turn. 
we don't have a lot of great sweepers in the format. And this is actually one of the cleanest ones that we do have. Yeah, it's it's tremendous. Another card that I don't think was on our first passes and after playing a bit, thinking a bit about the format, it was pretty clear that this needed to be there. Uh, the, the aggro decks in particular, particularly good at diversifying their permanence right now. They have a Seekus Chariot. They have Renin 7. Now, Renin 7 token can sometimes outsize this. If it has a hole, it's probably that. But at least you clean up the Renin 7 and like can start getting back to parity maybe with some other uh, some other cards combined. Where it's really good is against something like Arlen the Paxo, where it just completely decimates that card. Uh, Lulf is another one that's usually quite good against. So I, I have so many decks right now that their entire game plan is basically to turbo to this card, play it on turn four or turn five, and then do its silly thing beyond that. And decks just aren't doing a good job of playing around this card because you kind of can't you get squeezed if you give these decks too much time the the really really big combo-y type stuff you can't just sit there and i'll also say i appreciate that i've just played this on turn five against like a control deck and been like here are my three one ones are you gonna do anything about it and if you counter it great that's something else you're not countering and i'm, I'm ready to go uh but those three one ones can be annoying they they represent a lot of reach especially if you're doing things like combining it with alvin's epiphany like i have been so uh, I, I just think this is one of the most important cards in standard at this point. It's so good at what it does. And the fact that the planeswalkers are like aggro planeswalkers that create multiple bodies when you're talking about Lolf, when you're talking about Arlen, it just means that you're going to be reliant on a clean answer. And there really aren't many outside of Burn Down the House. Yeah, this is another card that I read and was not super stoked about, but knew that it was going to show up and would see play and then mostly for the sweeper side right but then you also have the aspect where you do get to make some threats with it so it's it's not completely dead in any matchup so it's not like uh uh storm's wrath with the two rr one where you're yeah. like well do i play this main deck like it's it's bad in some spots you know this one isn't right you just get to like jam four and not feel bad about it yeah so uh I posted this deck over on Twitter as well. I, it's basically a second coming of turns deck where you copy your Alan's Epiphany. It's so much better than I thought it would be, and I am actually scared of how good it was. But one of the cool things I was doing is that uh, I, I had my burn down the house, and then I had my, I'm, I want to call it expressive iteration. It's not that. It's some kind of iteration, the, the fork that copies stuff. But uh I was playing a matchup where I wasn't under any pressure. I really didn't have any use for burn down the house on the defensive side. So I just played it and copied it and had six one ones with haste that also had a dies trigger. And that actually on like an empty battlefield represents a huge problem for most opponents. Like, how do you play through that? You're just, you're facing a lot of damage. And yeah. it's, it's not something that I thought I would ever do, but as soon as I saw it, I'm like, this is hundred percent the correct play to take. And the fact that it offers that kind of versatility is a really big point in its favor. Galvanic Iteration is Thank the card. You. Yes, Galvanic Iteration. Yeah, how do you win the game, Brian? I think that's the thing I see on, you know, like the most on your tweets. It's like, how do you kill them? It's like, what, do, do, do people not read Alrin's Epiphany? Does it, do they not realize you get a bunch of stupid birds or you have these stupid devils to use? There's so many ways to win the game in that deck. It's not even hard. I, like, when I start doing my thing, I win the game easily from that point. But how do you win? Oh, Lord. Now, when, when I actually have decks that don't win the game, it's a fair question. And I posted some of those, too. But so, even, even then, it's like you know that, like, 
decking your opponent is a win condition, right? I, I, people just don't look for it. I don't know. I don't, I, you're right. I get asked that question more than anything else. And it's like, how do you win the game? I don't lose. That's it. That's all you have to do is not lose the game. And then you'll win eventually. Yeah, I, I am completely fine with asking questions when like you don't know the answer and like don't know how to find the answer. But this is one where it's like it's just read the cards, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think like when you're parsing a list like that quickly, it's easy to forget. Like you just look at Alvin's Epiphany and you're like, oh, time walk. And you don't really do the computations that, oh, if I'm copying this and I'm putting four birds into play and taking two turns in a row, and then I'm taking another turn after that, actually, my opponent is just dead. I, I can understand overlooking that, but I get I, asked that question a lot, like, like a lot. I know. I, like, I understand why you would think that and then want to look at the deck list to find the answer. But in the time it took you to type the tweet, you could have looked at the deck list and figured out the answer. Right. The, the thing of, that frustrates me is that it assumes some level of incompetence on my part. Yeah, like I wouldn't yeah, think, exactly. I wouldn't think to win the match of magic. I would just, you know, go forth. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to, I am happy to answer people's questions. I'm not trying to single anyone out for asking the question, but it, it does happen way too much. Yeah. I, I agree with the assuming incompetence part, which is kind of why it gets me. Yeah. This is just like, what, what do you think we're doing here? You know, I don't know, man. And it's like you submit a mono red deck with like 24 planes or something. You're like, look at this busted deck. And they're just like, you know, why can't you cast your spells or whatever? <laughs> you know, it's like, we're not, we're not doing that. We do put thought into this, right? It's like, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care. Anyway, number seven, Root Coil Creeper, GU22, a creature, plant horror, tap, add one mana of any color, tap, add two mana of any one color, spend this mana only to cast spells from your graveyard, uh, GU tap exile this return target card with flashback you own from exile to your hand. Where are you at on this one? I, I feel like this, I, I feel like I was like the catalyst for this, but you didn't push back on this. And I actually think you had it pretty high on your own first pass. So, I mean, it's a, it's a two drop mana creature in a format where we don't have a lot of that. So yeah, That's it's, very true. Uh, it's like burn down the house where it's like, yes, this is a thing. It's going to make my decks, but I'm not like, Oh, this is like, you know, busted on raid or whatever. This is just, placeholder for you know the things that have rotated or whatever yeah that's kind of that's kind of what i thought of it and then i played with it and i'm like this needs to go up the list a little bit because when your two drop mana source can produce two mana and it's not doing that all the time of course the default is you're going to get one mana but when you get two that's a big swing and uh there's spots now again like if i'm talking about this turns deck where i was playing the flashback uh the like land finding spell something paths or some kind of green nonsense that the, puts a basic land into the, play the, the 2g thing you ramp yep. growth if you have three different basics yep. you scry flashback yep. for five that is the one uh when you're using root coil creeper to power that out it makes a world of difference you're playing so much further ahead of curve and that lets you get to that late game of looping your alvin's epiphanies but where it really clicked for me was the first time i blocked and then sacrificed it to get back my memory deluge and i was like whoa that is a lot of value to get from my two mana mana dork which like you said i don't have a better option for a two mana mana dork i play tangled florahedron usually i'm playing both in a lot of these decks that i'm playing recoil creeper in but when you're getting that payoff late game uh that's a really big burst and there's a lot of really good flashback spells in the format right now so uh the the other thing is a combo deck that you started working on and I got dragged down the path, but it's, it's essentially, oh, 
Oh, no, no. no. Dude, this one's this one's also good. Like way better than I thought it would be. Oh, uh, it's probably really good with Malevolent Hermit. It's very good with Malevolent Hermit. Uh, that is certainly feeding my deck right now. But I'm talking about Seize the Storm, which if you don't know it, it's a... Uh, I'm going to try to get it off the top of my head. Four colorless, red... Uh, put a token into play that has power and toughness equal to the number of instants and sorcery in your graveyard. It also has trample, and then it flashes back for it, it also, six colorless and red. It also counts the flashback cards you have in exile. Yes, thank you. It also counts your flashback cards. So I've been playing uh, this card, and man, the payoffs you get from that card. So this particular version doesn't have Root Coil Creeper, but I, I, th- I think you could. Like, There's just so many good finishers with flashback in the format right now. And so many ways to look at those type of decks. And the fact that you're tapping your recoil creeper for all types of mana means you can stretch a little further and do things in multiple colors. So I, I think this is a key part of all these flashback strategies. And it combines with one of the best cards in the set in Memory Delusion. We'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, I keep sending you like clean blue red lists and you're like, let me add a color. Yeah. <laughs> It's easy. You just pop it right in there. And I don't think you're paying a huge cost for it. And usually I'm the one who's doing like the very conservative, like, okay, the core idea is here. Let's not really stretch. But in the case of that Seize the Storm deck, the white added uh, both Thrilling Discovery and Faithful Mending. So now you also had all this life gain baked into your deck. And all you did was just turbo always 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 play your burn down the house on turn five because you're gonna find it when you just spend the first four turns gaining life and drawing through your deck yeah and I then mean, when the, you come to turn six your creature is huge you're putting like a 10 10 on the battlefield there's already so much uh you know like look at the top four or five in in just blue red there I, is. I agree that like the the initial list that i put out i was like kind of concerned with like is this putting enough cards in the graveyard uh so mending thrilling discovery certainly help uh, but like there's strategic planning and some other stuff that you could use to fill your graveyard. Oh, we're playing you... that too. Don't worry. We're sure. I, I'm just saying like, if you're finding that like, you know, your creature is not big enough, right? It's like a four, four or something. And you're trying to combo kill them with Kuzul's fury. Obviously that's not going to work. Maybe you need a little bit more, right. Uh, things along those lines. So like, I, I get it. I understand, you know, those are mending and thrilling discovery are two of the better cards that like actually putting cards in your and and the life gain, I think is a big game changer as well. Like it just buys you the time you need to actually go through these setup phases. I suppose that's probably fine. Anyway, uh, Rook Oil Creeper is good. I, I look at it mostly as just uh, a two-drop creature, and then obviously there are upsides, and in specific decks where you're like, all right, I'm playing, you know, like a couple different flashback spells, the, the add two mana ability to cast flashback cards is really relevant, and yep. the flashback stuff is reasonably costed, but it's definitely a little on the pricey side, right? So this this kind of brings it back down into normal range, I think, yes. for, for what you would expect to cast. Yep. And then with, with the exiling thing, it's like, okay, this, this might come up, uh, and it makes it so the card is, like, never truly dead. It's still not a great top deck because it's like you have to play it it's summoning sick you have to untap with it then spend mana to exile it so i still think it's like kind of a bad top deck but like when you start with it on turn two it does scale really well yeah yeah and if you're comparing it to a typical top deck for like a tangled florahedron it's night and day at least it does something right yes yeah for sure like the power is there you just have to wait a bit on it yep number six arlen the pax hope uh two rg Legendary Planeswalker, Arlen, four starting loyalty, 
Plus one until your next turn, you may cast creature spells as though they had flash, and each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Minus three, create two, two, two green wolf creatures. Uh, this also has daybound. Backside, uh, four starting loyalty, nightbound, plus two, add RG or zero until end of turn. This becomes a five, five werewolf creature with trample, indestructible, and haste. I don't really know what to say about Arlen because it's kind of just like you hear all the stuff it does and you're like, yeah, that's that's powerful. Uh, the red green decks played on turn three a lot of the time. If you don't have some way to recoup the value, you're probably just buried. And that, again, I think that's like why burn down the house is so important, especially against the gruel decks. You need to be able to clean up Arlen and its wolves. Um, but if you get to start plus one this and then it flips immediately and now you have these flash threats and Arlen itself is this huge beatdown engine, uh, it, it just spirals out of control very quickly. And you're getting all of that with just like a solid beatdown deck wrapped up in it. And there's also card advantage built into these scroll decks too. So it, it kind of does everything. It feels sort of like... If you think back to how uh, Rakdos decks that were built around like Scrap Heap, Scrounger, Goblin Chain Whirler in that era, where you could sort of play every kind of game plan, but also you just killed your opponent sometimes. The Gruel decks are starting to feel that way to me right now. And I think yeah. Arlen is a big part of that. Yeah. The, the biggest knock against Arlen is that Azekas Chariot exists. Yep. And you normally start with like more chariots before you actually go to Arlen's. And then as far as like werewolves the tribe are concerned i think you're still a little bit short on cards to actually have like a good deck so i i don't think it's supposed to be so much the tribe like it's just supposed to be you play the good gruel cards and there's lots of them yes uh but so like I, i'm talking about like tovalar basically right. where you can you can mostly skip that card yeah which which is unfortunate to me yep and you know maybe that'll change with the next set who knows but uh, yeah, Arlen, I think, is not necessarily like a Wolves or Werewolves card. I think it's just another good rule card that you put in your deck because it's very strong. I agree with you. Number five, Moonvale Regent. 3R, I'm scrolling, 4-4, four, four, Creature Dragon, flying. Yeah. Whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. When this dies, it deals X damage to any target, where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. This is the card that I want to play with the most to get an idea. This was this was the chosen one last week. We were hyping this up as maybe our favorite card in the set, and it, it slid down a little bit from that point, but not because I don't believe in this card. Exactly. Uh, it's because the, the set is stacked. The set is stacked. And also, I'm not sure how many homes there actually are for this card because there are so many other great options. Uh, like, it's certainly competing a little bit in the same spot as like Asika's Chariot, Arlen. Like, if you're playing Gruel, you're probably going to default to those things because the synergies are better. Where this card has looked at its absolute best to me is in Mono Red, where I think it's awesome. Now, I don't know if there's any reason to actually be Mono Red. I'll say that when you can do Gruel stuff, that might just end up being a better version. Uh, but I don't know, like a four Burning Hands Mono Red deck has some upside to offer, and maybe we'll find some other good matchups and places. Um, the, the other spot where I think this is really good is in any kind of delvery tempo-y stuff i mostly am low on that strategy i i don't know if that's really going to make it in standard but if it does i think this card will be part of it and then i've hated galazeth prismare for a long time i've seen it as kind of a necessary evil 
I, I think in most of your Is It Dragons lists, you should look to slot some Moonvale Regents in alongside Galazeth Prismari. I'm not saying cut it, but my current lists are looking at like one Galazeth, uh, two Moonvale Regents, and I've been pretty happy with that split. Yeah, I agree with all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> Arlen has chariot problems. This also has chariot problems where you're yeah. like, well, like, I don't want to put this in my gruel list, but then it's like, well, how many four drops do you want? You know, you, you also play very handsful in gruel uh, because of things like werewolf pack leader and other card advantage things that you can look at. So I, I think you really want to just be burning through your deck as much as possible to get most out of Moonvale region. Now, it, it's, it's a May trigger, so you don't have to use it. Um, and there's lots of setups you can use to get maximum value out of it, whether you're playing things, you know, from Fortel Zone or from your graveyard. It's really good with card draws because the trigger happens first and then you get the card. So all, all of that stuff is play aroundable, but still it does narrow the homes for Moonvale Regent. You have to really make sure you're working for it. But when you do, I do think the payoff's there. Yeah. So we just have to, you know, figure out where the best homes would be for it. And then you have to think about whether or not doing that is better than doing something else. And yeah. that's kind of what I'm concerned about where maybe the other four drops are just a little bit better right now, but I, I want to get this card into play and see what it can do. Yeah. I I'm right there with you. Uh, it, has not happened for me yet. I just haven't been playing those decks today, so I can't give you the first-hand experience, but I, I still believe it'll be very good. Number four, controversial. Brian's hate this. Bri no, I, I, don't, I don't hate it, but this is definitely yours. I'm giving you ownership of this one. <laughs> for better or for worse. Briar Bridge worse. Tracker, 2G23, Creature Human Scout Vigilance. When this enters the battlefield, investigate as long as you control a token. This gets plus two, plus O. Oh. Uh, Augur of Autumn is not on our list, which could be a mistake. But I think that for what you're trying to do or should be trying to do in a lot of your standard decks is more along the lines of what Briarbridge Tracker is trying to do and less of what Augur is trying to do, where Augur's like, yeah, if we get to turn eight, we're golden. We're really humming now, you know? And Tracker is just this immediate kind of like burst of impact where the body is fine. You get the investigate. It works incredibly well with the Seekers Chariot because you're like copying clues and crewing it by itself. Whereas Augur is probably not attacking or blocking. Maybe you get an extra land drop here or there. You know, like the impact is like kind of minimal over a small number of turns. Whereas small number of turns, Briarbridge Tracker is what you want. I think that's what you want for standard. The thing that sold me more than anything else is just the combination with the Seekers Chariot. I, I think that's such a reliably good setup uh, that you can t talk me into that being the foundation of a lot of decks. I, I don't think there's any chance this card fails. I think it's just like completely fine on its face. There's no way it doesn't matter in some spots. I just think we have it really high up on our list. And when I am up around like the number four, number five spots, I really want capacity to sort of shape the format around those cards. I don't think Briarbridge Tracker really has any potential to do that, but it's such good glue that sometimes you can overcome that format shaping, that lack of format shaping potential and still justify this spot. So I would have this a little bit lower if this was my list, but I'm okay taking a flyer on it because I think it could be like the most important foundational card in the set. I think so too, and I'm not putting too much stock into 
you know, how does this like fundamentally alter the format is just, is this going to show up as four ofs in a lot of different deck lists? And I think it is. And would that be the case if Chariot didn't exist, Ren and Seven didn't exist? I don't know. You know, it, it but they just, do. So who cares? Right, exactly. Uh, I think that that combination is good enough and it's going to see play in a lot of color combinations, even if Gruel is more of the predominant one. I think that there are definitely other places where you can put that that combo or you know even if you want to play without like one or the other like you still you could right but i don't know why you would no i i don't really know either it's it seems like they're destined to always appear together and and that's completely fine because when one of your partners is one of the best cards in standard you'll take that every time number three brutal cathar two dub two two creature human soldier werewolf when this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Cathar, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield, also has day bound. Backside is a 3-3 with first strike, ward, pay three life, and night bound. I, I, I still find this card kind of baffling because I don't expect to get much upside when you're dealing with this effect, this kind of exiling creature effect. It's usually... You get what you get, and you don't really care too much about the body, but you're getting a great creature type here. You're getting a flip into a creature that really matters in and of itself and has some reach tacked onto it. Uh, you have the potential to take multiple cards from your opponent, which I don't think will happen very often, but if it ever does, uh, that's that's big. That's, that's a really big game. And it it's sort of shocking how much you're getting for what we usually see in these packages you know fiend hunter uh what are what are other examples of this we've done before it's something priest i think banisher priest. Yeah. priest was a 2-2 but it was also one dub dub right yeah. fiend hunter was also one dub dub we have skyclave yeah. apparition which is very very good but also kind of hard to cast and it is the mana got a little bit better with the industrial duels but you're still playing like a lot of pathways you know if we're talking about playing like bant for example and Ensuring that you have Skyclave Apparition mana on turn three at that point is is kind of difficult. Still. It is. It, it is. I think the current mana bases in standard are excellent at casting uh, one pip across three colors. Like yes. that's that's not challenging whatsoever. It's kind of been like this for a while. If you think back to the Omnath era, it was easier to cast Omnath than something that was like black black one. You yes. know, it, it it just worked. And that continues to be the case with these pathways. So getting to do this for two colorless and one white mana, uh, it's a substantial upgrade. And it's replacing Skyclave Apparition in a lot of my decks. Not because I don't believe in Skyclave Apparition, but you have to accept your mana limitations. And if this gets you most of what you need, but you're actually able to cast it on time, you're going to take that nine times out of ten. Yeah, th there are certainly going to be scenarios where you want to hit a non-creature permanent like chariot or arlen or two of the ones that we've talked about a lot so maybe yep. you do want to stretch your mana to to do skyclave apparition stuff and then real cathar maybe has the downside where if it is nighttime and you want to cast it to remove a creature you can't do that you know so it is real it is it is a little tricky uh hopefully the the three three body that you get for striking body is is good enough in those scenarios or you can do something else with your mana i don't know but I think that this card just does have a ton of upside. It is very aggressively costed. I think there are a lot of different decks it can show up in. And if it does show up, it's going to be in high numbers. Agreed. Number two, the Brian special, mostly because I don't even think I read this card 
uh, when it got previewed. Memory Deluge, 2UU, instant. Look at the top X cards of your library where X is the amount of mana spent to cast the spell. Put two of them in your hand, the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Flashback, 5UU. You'll, you'll have to forgive me. I'm just over here fanning myself down because this card gets me very hot under the collar, Gerald. This is just exactly what I want to do in my control decks, my combo control decks, all of the nonsense that I love playing. Uh, Memory Deluge does it beautifully. If you were just looking at it as like, this is our new draw two for four mana. This is probably the best one we've seen in quite some time. It's such a spike too. Like the whole, the multiverse is very good. And I still think that there might be spots where you play that instead of this, but compare this to like glimmer of genius type of stuff. The rate, the rate is so much better and it has flashback. Yep. Now, now granted you, you too. So we just talked about how that's harder in this format. That's very true. Uh, but I, I think a lot of the best homes for this are in some two-color decks, uh, some decks that are fixing their mana anyway, looking to ramp into the late game. I mentioned my green flashback, uh, find a land, rampant growth spell. It plays very well with something like this. But basically, like you're playing this early as a control deck, as you typically would, or as a combo deck, as you typically would, looking for small pieces. And then you don't do anything else. And you get to these late games and you just find whatever you need. If you get even one turn where you're able to go ahead and use your mana, not answering your opponent, you you get dig through time. And anyone who casts a bunch of dig through times knows what that does. It finds you what you need and gets you ahead. And this is the entire premise behind my taking turns deck is that you use that first turn, you're able to hold out and copy that Alrin's Epiphany. So that first of the two turns you're going to take, you use to cast this from the graveyard, go find another Alrin's Epiphany, and you're just off to the races. You're, you're doing it from that point forward. And maybe you're even copying Alrin's Epiphany again. And that's why it's so easy to just win the game from very low resources that it turns into so many cards from your graveyard. And that kind of card advantage, it's, it's not something we usually have access to. This feels like a control card from ages ago where it's just like control was always the best thing to do and you were foolish if you were trying to do anything else these are the type of tools it had while you know the green decks were playing three mana three threes and nonsense like that it's just from a different era and i am impressed with it every single time i cast it compare this to chemistry's insight just you can't it's just night and day yeah it's i i will say though that we do kind of lack some of the early game interaction for blue decks. If you're talking about like control decks specifically, uh, essence scatter was mm-hmm. a card I went to basically as doom blade a lot of the time. And yeah. we don't have like a good power sink broken ambitions type of thing. I absolutely despise jewelry disruption, you know? So the, the two mana slot for these blue decks is, is pretty bad. Yeah, it's hard to find a, a good counter spell in the early game for sure. But I don't know, like you can you can play this in is it control setups, and we saw that deck uh, do some pretty good things in in the last season. And I, you know, a lot of that stuff still exists. Or you have things that can uh, substitute for the missing things, right? So I think that can, that control is probably viable. And then yeah, you're talking about doing like ramp stuff with this or. I've had it in sideboards of like Simic decks or Bant decks as just a instant speed threat to yep. like pressure control decks or whatever. I think yep. that's a good spot for it too. Like this card is nice. 
Agreed. You just got to find where to put it. That's all. Yeah, I think this one's worth the work, though. And building around it, you you can get paid on it. Yeah, for sure. Imagine this with wilderness reclamation, right? Whew. Uh, I think you might see that, actually, in older formats. Like, I think this is a big upgrade for those decks, actually. Uh, it's still legal in Pioneer, right? I don't think so, but it is legal in Modern. And I, I could see this. I mean, they play like Factor Fiction they, now. They do play Factor Fiction. This and seems better. I, I think this is better than Factor Fiction. Yeah. Assuming you can guess it, right? Like Factor Fiction is really easy to guess. But yeah, you should be okay in that deck. Yeah, that deck's trying to cast Cryptic Command anyway. So yeah, uh, yeah uh, it would be it would be pretty fun to do that. And I don't think that there's a place for me to do that, unfortunately. It's it's still like a little bit too slow for modern, I think. Just go ahead and take all the turns in standard. You'll you'll get your fix of that. All right, fair enough. Uh, number one card in the set, and it's it's been number one for a while because yeah. this is like the first card previewed. Ren in seven, three GG, uh, legendary planeswalker Ren, five starting loyalty, four abilities. First one plus one. Reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand, and the rest into your graveyard. Zero. Put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Minus three, create a green Trifo creature with reach, and this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the amount of lands you control. Minus eight, return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. I don't, I don't think you could ever trick me into minus eighting this, honestly. But have have not done it in my one day of playing with it, but uh, I've certainly done everything else, and they're all great. I mean, this card is what we thought it was. And it's funny because like, this is the one that just, it stands on its own for everything it can do, but it also combines well <laughs> with one of the best cards in standard in the Seeker's Chariot. Like we're talking about how Briar Bridge Tracker gets carried by its relationship with the Seeker's Chariot. Renin 7 has that relationship and is also just an incredible card on its own. So where does that leave this card? At the number one slot on our list, obviously. Uh, the fact that you get a creature that is so battlefield impactful right away it the, the reach matters a bunch it's good solid defense uh if they then answer your red and seven from that point you don't really feel like you came out that far behind on the exchange and spots where it's safe and you just get to like plus and setups where your deck is full of cards in hand if you're doing like bant type stuff and you're playing this alongside memory deluge it's very easy to put just a lot of lands onto the battlefield and then unlock these late games that are all about bringing memory deluge back from the graveyard and just infinite options with all this mana available it all feels very good very reasonable it fuels those flashback cards we're talking about in your graveyard too it puts them there directly which you always appreciate so uh it's everything i thought it would be and having played with it i'm i'm comfortable with it remaining in my number one spot as it like you said has been for a while brian i i just purchased gems you got them i got them Congratulations. I'm I'm very happy for you. This means you will now be able to cast Ren and Seven by the end of the day. Uh, and I promise you'll enjoy it a lot. All right. First 10 packs, not very good. No Ren and Sevens. No Ren and Sevens. Uh, second 10 packs, also not very good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going. You're, you're We're in going. line for these 20 through 30. You're going to be big, though. I uh, got a brutal Cathar, man. Okay, um, well, that's that's a good card. Oh, Gal Galvanic Iterations are rare. Yikes. Yeah, that is. That's okay, you're going to need those. Ooh, Moonvale Regent, let's go. Yeah, all right. A little Mono Red action. Tainted Adversary, your homie. Yeah, ready for some zombies. That's good. I only need three more of those. Uh, some Dual Lands. 
some cards with Tovalor in the name, so those aren't great. No. All right, we have 40 packs left. Oh, you went, you went a full 100. Uh, I did, yeah. Okay. Uh, another dual land. Oh, okay. no. I should have... If I was going to buy two things, I should have bought them uh, together, right? Because now I just opened a Champion of the Parish. Yeah, yeah, you get uh, Champions of the Parish for I blew buying it. The, the bundle. I blew it. All right, more dual lands. <laughs> I need my Mythics. What's happening? Uh, nothing. Another dual land. Last one. Last one, Brian. Oh, Come Rand on. 7. We got there. There we again. go. Okay. We got there. That's what we're looking for. And a Memory Deluge and a Brutal Cathar. Dude, we're in there. You just got the top three cards in the set, Gerald. How do you feel about that? Not bad. I mean, it took yeah. me 90 packs to get there. But <laughs> it did. It took a little while. We did it. Uh, nice. Okay, this means that uh, I'm going to actually get to play some Magic when we're done here. This is good. Well, how about before you do that, you tell us what the hell you think about Ren and Seven. I'm I'm not working alone over here, Gerald, while you're playing Arena. Oh no, I mean it's 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 busted. The the tree folk is absurd. It works with uh Asika's chariot. It puts flashback cards in your graveyard. Some of the stuff that I've been trying to do, which I'm not sure will actually work, is like uh I was playing it with Storm the Festival, right? Like obviously Ren and Seven is a big part of any Storm the Festival deck. Uh another, mm. another card that did not make our top 13 list, um, but I will be playing with some amount at least. And it was just like, oh, you could you could like uh, put lands into play with Lotus Cobra in play mm. to like then maybe get to the flashback uh, part of this and there's the recoil creepers and stuff like that. Like flash, flashing it back doesn't seem that difficult uh, with those sorts of setups, but you know, Lotus Cobra is obviously still very vulnerable, so are your so, so you're just all over the place in terms of your uh storm the festival decks or are they they tend to be simic or what's your what's your general setup now uh so for my article uh basically i started by looking at all the good four and five drop things yep that's what and I was too. some of those were tribal things so i looked at a lot of the tribal stuff like elves dragons angels uh humans and i also looked at like some party stuff and was just like all these are pretty bad there, it's like you get like three pretty solid cards and then you're just filling it out with the dregs, which mm -hmm. is not really where you want to be for a tribal deck. So I mentioned those, but didn't write about them. Decks I did, excuse me, edit that out for sure. Uh, <laughs> the the decks that I did build uh, were Gruel and then I, I think I mentioned Naya, but didn't explicitly build like a Naya version. And then Simic, Bant, because I think that there's like a significant difference between those two. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a Bard class version, which was... Oh, that's cool. Which was kind of similar to the tribal ones. So, you know, when we were building like a Sika decks and it's like, oh, this really needs like a mana sink, like a big payoff, right? Like yeah. Storm does that, but then you're also like, oh, look at the two, two, two legendary creatures I found off it or whatever. It's like, it's technically a mana sink, um, but, you know, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Uh, yeah, so you really need bar class to actually do anything in that deck. Uh, so Storm the Festival, I think, may have been on my first draft of a top 13. It wasn't on my most recent one because I, I think the card might stink. Having played with it a little bit today, I just don't think you go deep enough. Yeah. And like only only going with five cards means that 
even like even your best hits don't put you far enough ahead to make up for where you really don't hit especially when you're looking at flashing this thing back and you're investing 10 mana into it like you got to get something from that and my deck was built around maximizing this card and i was like my best spots i was getting was like ren and seven a tangled fluorohedron like that's not really what i was here for I, I wanted something that just kind of swung the battlefield all at once and it never really did that for me so i don't know if it's you know misbuilding on my part or fundamentally misunderstanding the card but my early impressions of it were not good yeah five is not a lot of cards and it's, it's really difficult to put in like the six mana card enough mana sources to get there and then enough heavy hitting stuff to actually benefit from it. I think the best thing that I figured out was like, uh, you should probably just play Kazandu Mammoth because maybe you hit like a good card and then this takes up a land slot for the yeah. most part and yeah. is is pretty reasonable again with like, you know, the Ren putting lands into play and maybe if you have Augur of Autumn in your deck and you're consistently hitting your land drops. So yeah, I, I think you should probably expect to hit like a four and a five and then maybe a two and a three and be good with that. But like, for this to be good, you want to hit like a five and a four. And I don't think you can realistically build your deck in such a way to do that. No, I, I tried. I was mostly skipping. I, I did skip the one drop slot and was light on twos. And so loaded up with three fours and fives and still was not getting very impressive hits off this. Uh, maybe so. maybe what I should have looked at is like, I don't know, there's like a DFC that's five mana, right? That's like a four, four or something like, yeah, just do more stuff like that. Maybe, maybe you is, have to work that hard to make it good. And, but then the rest of your deck is looking pretty mopey at that point. Yes, I agree. So I, I think that it is potentially powerful. Like imagine a gruel mirror where you do hit those stalemates and both players agree to not just like fireball each other to death. Right. Then you storm. Gentlemen's the, agreement. Yeah. You storm the festival and hit, uh, like a chariot and a briar bridge thingy tracker. Uh, oh, that's that's good. That's better than anything that they could do for like six mana, right? And then you have the flashback looming. Like I can see scenarios like that where mid range is powerful. Uh, that it could be good. But yeah, I think I think the fireball might just be a better way of ending the game. It's instead of just like continually trying to grind them out when all of their cards you know, produce more cardboard or draw more cards. It's just like the, that fight is never ending, right? So just trying to right. end the game. Right. Well, we moved pretty quickly, actually, for once in our podcast existence. So uh, I don't mind sort of rounding up with a couple of things that didn't make the list. If we want to talk about those, we did that with Storm, the festival. Consider is another card that I had very close, which like kind of too boring to be on the list, but it's great. I've appreciated it. Uh, if you ever put a flashback card into your graveyard, you feel so, so far ahead. Uh, no complaints about consider. It just, it, it is what we thought it was. And uh, we'll see play where it makes sense to see play. Yeah. If we're talking about older formats, I would have consider probably at number one for the vast yeah. majority of them. I agree. But for standard, it's, it's fueling some things, but not a ton of things. So I think that, it versus like Brutal Cathar, Briarbird Tracker, stuff like that. It's like those cards win out for sure. And, you know, consider will show up in a couple spots, maybe even in a tier one deck, but yep. it's it's not going to be ubiquitous like a lot of these other cards. Yeah, considers in more of the stuff that I'm really excited about because I think it fuels your potential to go over top of the entire format very well. So if, if the format sells to a place where that's realistic, consider could be a, a very big deal, but... As it stands now, it's just kind of a role player in a very specific set of decks. I'm pretty sure I deleted the the bottom part of the list that I sent you. So I'm going back on Discord to find it. 
Uh, I see suspicious stowaway on there. I, I think that's you, not me, that included that. You well, that's, pretty impressed with that card, or that's because it was a top seventeen list, and right. I, I felt like I don't know. I, I kind of poo pooed on the card after we did the show last week. I started looking for homes for it and found some that looked okay, but it's it's not like a tier one card, you know? Yeah, and say like these Delver decks were good. They're not, they're not going to be good. Uh, then yeah. Like, you know, this card will see some play or whatever. And I thought that maybe in the context of like control mirror, sideboard jukes, maybe this could see a thing, but Malevin yep. Herman is just doing a better job of that yeah. anyway. So it's like, I don't know. I don't even still see this card doing anything, but if we're making a top 20 list is probably on there. Yeah, I, I think Hermit took its spot pretty soundly for me. The role I saw it playing is now just completely occupied by a much better card. Uh, what about Fateful Absence? That's a card I know some oh. people are very high on. I'm not. I I, I would have been on my top 20. Like, I think it's around like 15, 16. Yeah. But, Another okay. one of the cards that I read, I'm like, oh, this is like pretty solid, right? It's going to show up in some decks. Yep. And I, I believe that, but I don't think it's a game changer. White both doesn't necessarily need to remove things and it has slightly better answers at doing that. You know, if we're talking about Skyclave Apparition type of stuff. Cathar is, I, I'm mostly at Cathar before I'm going to Fateful Absence. Right, same. And it's just one of those things where you get to develop your board while removing their thing. Now, if you're talking about, you know, some sort of blue-white control deck and needing like a removal spell, like, yeah, okay, this kind of fits, Right. But yep. it's it's not a game changer, and also that doesn't seem like a viable strategy. So if we're, we're on we're on the exact same place on this card, I think it's entirely fine. It's a tool, but I I don't want to play it. I'm playing it because I have to. Yeah, yep, I definitely agree with that. Uh, okay, I, I've kept you for long enough. You now have your gems. I I release you upon the arena cues. You are free to go forth and ruin people's days by taking all of the turns and I'm probably not uh, going to do that because I'm probably going to play on my phone on my couch while mm. I have like some Twitch streams on my TV. Okay. So what do you, what are you thinking? A little mono red, you got your moon veil regents. I opened one so far. Okay. I'm going back to the well. Oh man. Another 90 packs. I only got one champion that perished. Feels bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna have to craft those if you want to get some zombos in. Is is doing pack openings when you can't see anything good? I don't know. I mean, we're at the end of the show anyway. If people don't like it, they can just turn it off. All right, first first ten pull. So so half game, half keep listening. Yeah, first ten pull, uh, one dual land, two rare wild cards. Thank you. Huge and a huge mythic get. rare wild card. So nice. so nothing. Uh, the ten pull is like nothing, but it's still kind of exciting. It's so weird that the best possible result when you're opening packs is nothing. Yeah. Uh, Teferi, yeah. Couple Storm the Festivals. There you go. Uh, Smoldering Egg. I like the egg, actually. I don't oh, think I it's like that egg bad. too. That, that would be on my top 20. And again, that was like another sideboard juke I was looking at a lot for these like combo-ish decks until I was like, oh, I can just play Hermit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Memory Deluge, some more wild cards. Okay, those are going, those are going to feed my historic addiction. Uh, Brutal Cathar, Jadar, another Brutal Cathar, okay. All right, you're up to like three of those now. You're basically set yeah. for your mono-white decks. Briarbridge Tracker, Meat Hook Massacre, 
consuming. I don't blob. think I have any meat hook massacres. I'm gonna have to craft those. That's yeah, bad. dude, these are mythics. Man, my mythics are bad. Yeah, not doing great. Primal adversary. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> not what I want. You're gonna have to play it now. Uh, Reckless Storm Seeker. I think that's my first one. That's that's good. Well, it's it's good, but it's also bad because I'm probably gonna need more of those. Uh, some more wild cards. Uh, another Storm Seeker. Okay. Uh, last set, set on Storm Seekers. Last ten pull. Last ten pull. Damn it! <laughs> How many packs did you, you said two thirty? I mean, I have like some leftovers. I have some leftovers. I I opened two thirty. I'll I'll spend my gold. We'll be here for a few hours while I'm clicking buttons to buy these bags. Yeah, Why is it so hard? A lot of time to go through the gold. Uh, I, I might just call a game on that. It'll be two hours until you have 10 packs in your account that you can open. What are you up to? Three, hold on, four? Hold on, hold on. Just 10 more minutes. Just give me 10 more minutes. <laughs> uh, two more, two more. Oh God, I misclicked. That set me back. What if you have 11? That's the worst result. No, I started at 17,000 gold, so I'm at seven. Okay. Okay. Temple, temple, temple. Here we go. This is the big 10. Meat Hook Massacre to Fairy, who slows the sunset. Burn uh, down the house. Burn, uh, burn down is good. Angel Fire Ignition, which I think is a fake card. There's there's no way this is real. I've never heard of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google it. One R-dub sorcery. Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. Gains Vigilance, Trample, Lifelink, Indestructible, and Haste until uh, end of turn. Flashback? Yes. Yeah, I, I do remember this card now. I don't even remember reading that card. All right. Oh, my vault is full. That's glorious. All right. One more Mythic. You're we, set. You're good to go. We might have enough. Uh, I don't know if I can reach back into Historic. I wanted to build Zombies and Flash. And maybe I should just do those first. So I, I don't... No, build, build standard decks first, and then you can build historic decks. Zombies and Flash, Brian. It's, you can build zombies and standard. It may not be very good, but you can do it. It's, yeah, it's not even close. It's not even close. close. All right, time to battle. That's game. Game. Good luck.